Hello and welcome to La Pausa Pod. We're recording this on a Tuesday morning ahead of an exciting round of Champions League games. Tonight, Real Sociedad play Salzburg, Sevilla play PSV Eindhoven and Real Madrid play Napoli. Then tomorrow night, Atletico play Feyenoord and Barcelona play Porto. We'll be discussing two of those teams today after their games at the weekend. We're going to have a chat about the Basque Derby. And we're going to talk about Real Madrid's 3-0 victory over Girona. And then two teams who are very much not in the Champions League, Celta Vigo and Las Palmas. If Jamie had it his way, he'd have Las Palmas as honorary members of the Champions League. But um, how are you feeling after that result last night, Jamie? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, for, for a long part of the game. I thought it was it was heading a bit south for Las Palmas. They just... Really struggling to create chances, but yeah, that that finish to the game after Vieira came on and Cardona made an impact. That 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 finish for the winner was just uh, just a really nice moment. So I think uh, for a Monday night game, even for the neutrals tuning in, thinking yeah, this this might not be great. I think it had a pretty happy ending. Yeah, I saw the lads at the, the, the Spanish football podcast tweeting about an unexpected party datho. I don't think it was an I don't think it was a quite it didn't reach the levels of party datho, but it kinda got there in the end and there was plenty to talk about, plenty of contentious decisions, some 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 morbo thrown in there for good luck. But yeah, we're gonna we'll talk about them later. Let's start with Girona and Real Madrid, where Michel said his side were kind of the victims of expectations. Girona came into the game obviously leading La Liga and they everyone had been talking them up. I wrote about them and I'm not entirely sure if it's fair to say that they were the they, they suffered from expectations, but this is what happens when you're top of the league and when you are a really, really, really good side. Yeah, yeah, it was uh I guess we're at fault because we've spoken a lot about them in in uh, recent weeks in this season but yeah I, I don't think it was expectations from from minute one but I think once you fall behind against Real Madrid and you kind of feel like the bubble has burst and it, it just becomes really hard to sort of respond and that was another thing Michel said after the game that like when you play against Real Madrid you say for example Valverde goes past you it can start to set in that you're feeling like you're having a, a bad game and it's like no they're just really good. You just have to live with those moments and respond when you can. But yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the stats of the game and uh, and then what came after. I think that's best to split it up. In terms of those stats that Jamie's talking about, the XG for the game was one point five nine to Girona and two point three eight to Real Madrid. Girona amassed the the great the grand majority of that that xg in the first op- in, the, in the opening 15 minutes and we went back and watched this game the first 20 minutes anyway to just see how dominant girona were and i watched it back and we were talking about uh girona and i saw some people saying oh girona like they they collapsed against real madrid having watched back that first 15 minutes the chances that they created how much pressure they put real madrid under I think this is the best coach team in Spain and one of the best coach teams in Europe. They're just incredible at at how they get free men on the ball high up the pitch. The movement is 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 incredible. The the technical ability is incredible. The bravery is incredible. And I, I think that you you were saying that it was a worse defensive 
opening 15 minutes defensively for Real Madrid than it was against Atletico Madrid. And did, did so you're backing up what I saw as well in the opening 15 minutes. This Girona start was incredible. Yeah, I mean, the the talk after the Atletico game was all about what, what a disastrous start it was, the complete inability to defend crosses and it was basically the same in this Girona match. The only difference was that Girona didn't take their chances and Atletico did. The XG after 15 minutes, so basically up to Bellingham's, Bellingham's assist for Hossela, which changed the game, was 0.9, so basically at, at 1 to, to 0. So they had two big chances with, with Herrera and Sigankov that weren't taken. And then there's, a, there's another screenshot that we'll post on, on our Twitter after where it wasn't a big chance that led to it. But I mean, the, the screenshot of the marking from this cross in the 15th minute, which is just before Bellingham, you know, changes the game or, or the trajectory of the game is, is quite unbelievable. So, I mean, Ancelotti had spoken a lot coming into this game about, you know, we can't keep conceding the first goal. We can't keep starting slowly. And th- they did again. They just got away with it this time. Yeah, this this screenshot here, when you posted it, I, I didn't actually see this, but it's 15 minutes in. We'll, we'll put it on our Twitter. It, it, it looks like Girona are, are defending this because there's four men free in the middle. I, I don't know which one was worse, the Yankel Carrera miss or the Tsaigankov miss. I, I would say, I, I think both of them were, were, were as bad as each other almost because Carrera was, was attacking the ball. He had to just place it, just get it on target. And it was, as long as it wasn't anywhere near, uh, Kepa that was going in and then Sagankov did have to kind of sh- bend his body around a little bit and kind of try to direct it on target but that was that was that's that's guilt edge stuff there but so, so basically what I saw here and I don't know if you you if, if you agree with this basically Real Madrid I was listening to the radio the other night uh, last night and um Pedrag Mijatovic was talking about Modric not playing and this is kind of becoming a thing now in Spain about why isn't Modric playing and stuff like that and one quote that he said was basically everyone has suffered because of the the rombo or the 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 diagonal or the um 442 diamond now I wonder so there was tweaks to the four four two diamond here out of possession for Real Madrid, and 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 one area where Girona did so well in the start of that fi- in the opening fifteen minutes was Miguel Gutierrez playing as a inverted fullback, stepping up, joining the attacking line where and and it was between Chumani, Valverde, and Carvajal to defend against Savio Gutierrez and daily blind now the problem with that was miguel gutierrez's movement is just so good and sabio knows that when he and gutierrez can play as an interior he can play further forward uh, like an attacking kind of almost like a number 10 in in advanced positions he can play as a wide man he can play as a fullback and he was just moving around all these positions savio stepping in and then and then gutierrez would go outside and carvajal had to switch and that communication between real madrid broke down at times so when he went into the attacking line rudiger picked him up but he what rudiger wasn't following him so then once gutierrez dropped off him that was on Chumeni or Valverde or or t- to pick him up, and they were sometimes missing him. 
or else sometimes there was two of them going to him and then Daily Blind was free. And this this was causing so many problems for Real Madrid. And Girona just, it, it was like they were almost tying with them. And then when they all collapsed on Gutierrez, Daily Blind passed it out to Alex Garcia and he went out the other side to Jan Couto and then it was the same again. The only difference on the right-hand side was that Jude Bellingham is just incredible defensively and he can play that role really well. But just on that topic of everyone has suffered because of this rombo, do you think this is the right system for Real Madrid? um, Yeah, I'm not sure about long-term in terms of saying yes or no. Ancelotti said, you know, it's it's not an ideal formation, but then again, nothing is. But yeah, I, I agree. The start to this game, the way that players like Gutierrez move in, inside and out, depending on where the ball is, they just had a, a lot of problems trying to cover the space. And that was the thing. I, I, I thought when the game state was, was at, you know, nil-nil, I thought Real Madrid had so many problems trying to get the off-ball approach right against against Girona because times they were trying to get up to the ball times they were having to sit off but I feel like they kept getting caught in between and obviously once they get the lead you know they can start to sit off a bit and be a bit more conservative and not quite have to get caught in or risk getting caught in between trying to put pressure on and yeah it was even with Valverde and Bellingham on the two sides you know constantly having to make recovery runs because like you said if Gutierrez wasn't sort of making inroads, they'd give it to Alex Garcia and he'd just spray it out wide. And I felt like Bellingham was running backwards a lot in that first 15 minutes or so. But once they get the lead, you know, we've said it already, Bellingham invents a goal out of practically nothing. Once that game state changes, then Real Madrid can, you know, be a bit more concerned about closing space and actually putting pressure on the ball because I thought Girona were looked really dynamic when it was nil-nil. I think when, like, the, it's kind of like that saying from The Wire, if you come at the king, you best not miss. I, and I just think <laughs> it's so true. And I think that in terms of asserting their dominance on the game and Girona having those two chances and missing them and just generally being in control and all of a sudden Jude Bellingham goes up and does this, a lovely ball into Hosselu, who Gazaniga probably could have done a bit better, but at the same time, that's an incredible, it's a lovely run. Hosselu knows that Bellingham can find him. Bellingham obviously executes the pass just perfectly, and it's just like, you, we're, we're, we're the alphas here, you know? And I, I just think that in terms of Girona, this this tends to be the problem. You can you can be playing really really well, have a really good team, have a have a really nice style of play, but you have to take your chances against Barcelona and Real Madrid. And 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 even if you do, there's going to be an onslaught. There's going to be they're going to create chances. And th- and this is just the difference in quality, I guess. And I I doesn't really, I mean, it, it, that kind of goes without saying. But we saw it today, and I I don't think that it lessens Girona's quality or what Michel is doing and I genuinely think that they are still I think they still finish in the top four I, I genuinely just after watching them and seeing how how clear the chances are that they create I just think that this team now they're going to struggle defensively and that might be a problem I don't know what it'll be might come down to a mentality thing there's going to be a tough run of games can they hold on but I think this is just one of the best 
in terms of where they move on the field and all, I just think they were excellent. And yeah, so even, and then once Real Madrid took the lead, it was Bellingham came into it more and the they just kind of basically controlled the game. Even when they were 1-0 up, um, Real Madrid defended quite well and they, they had more touches in the box, nine for Real Madrid and eight for Girona. So just back to the to the comment about the Rombo or the, the 4-4-2 diamond has, has affected everyone. Is Vinicius is only back from injury and I get that, but he looks out of place here. And I wonder is this because Jude Bellingham is, is basically everything to this team right now. I feel like both defensively, like we saw him um, against Girona, he he's just he's just head and shoulders above everyone. Even in, in physically physically speaking, he is. But then on the ball as well, everything goes through him. And I wonder do does does Vinicius and and some of the other players feel like the succession plan was supposed to be me, and all of a sudden Jude Belling comes in and you change the entire shape of the team just to suit him. Do you do you get that feeling a little bit from from Real Madrid or? Yeah, I think th- th- there has to be some sort of feeling in what you've mentioned. Obviously, Vinicius just came back from an injury, so he's, we didn't expect him to be at you know tip top shape. But it was interesting that Ancelotti basically played him as a winger in this match. Um, you look at his touch map; he, he was very rarely inside the pitch, and Ancelotti said that. You know, the decision to play Camavinga at left back was influenced by that because if Fran Garcia plays, then Fran Garcia's territory is, is the wing and Vinicius basically has to play in, inside in that sort of, um, you know, not not a pure striker role, but slightly to the left uh, of the centre. Um, and yeah, Vinicius, he, he looked a little bit off. He had the matchup against Jan Couto, but... You know, there was some sort of Brazilian rivalry going on there. I think they know each other quite well, but yeah, he's it, it wasn't a great game for him. But you know, on the other side as well, we had two Brazilian superstars in this match in Vinicius and, and Savio, and neither had a particularly good game. I think there was there was a lot of spotlight on both, and yeah, I, I mean, just going back to the start as well. I mean, we, we spoke about Girona pretty much from the off here and Michel said you know we had a really good start to the match but basically you know you can't pat yourselves on the back first time well against Real Madrid the big players come into the game and then you it's you know once once they get ahead it's 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 totally different so yeah with respect to the rombo I I think they they played well within it once they took the lead and they sort of grew in confidence and Good performances from guys like Tromeni. Um and yeah, I mean, I don't think we can really talk about the Rombo as well without, well, without mentioning it. Do, are you one of those people that thinks Camavinga being put at left back is like, uh, like a heinous crime, like some people seem to think it is, or, or do you think it was actually, you know, the right decision from Ancelotti? I know he had a good game. So this is the problem, and this is why I feel like this squad is a little bit unbalanced. I think that it makes sense there, but Camavinga doesn't want to play there. So I, I don't think playing... Like, you went and bought Frank Garcia in the summer. Ferland Mendy was a 
relatively significant outlay about four years ago under Zidane and, and they thought that he was going to be the left back that would replace Marcelo. That hasn't, he's, he's not even a factor now. And I said this in the summer, I was like, this left back situation isn't fixed now with Fran Garcia coming in. And I just feel like with, with the Rombo or with the, 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 the diamond, Modric is, knows how to join or he wants to play more. He he stayed on because he figured he was going to play more. And there's no natural position for him in that because he's not going to be doing those runs that Valverde and Jude Bellingham are doing on either side of, of Chumani. And and even if Cruz played there and he plays there, just add that bit of control. But but that Modric, that's not what Modric is going to offer. So Modric is out, knows how to join. Camavinga doesn't want to play left back. And... I I just wonder, like I mean, what is the like? It just feels like there's no balance in this squad, and with players being played out of position and stuff like that. And just just on the Savio thing and and Danny Garcia or Danny Carvajal, Carvajal has shut down some of the best wingers in the world. Like he he shut down Grealish in the Champions League last year in the in the first leg at the Bernabeu, shut him down. Yeah, I. I think he got the better of him on that occasion and I just feel like Savio like that was Carvajal absolutely loves that and that was one-on-one situations he just he's so aggressive he's he's just so determined not to be beaten that 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 was always going to be a tough enough assignment for Savio and he I I think he just slightly struggled there but yeah like I think that Chumani has grown into it all, but again, there's moments when he looks like he's switched off, like he switched off completely for that, for that Yangel Herrera chance. And I don't know if he's the full-time solution there either in terms of what Casemiro brought. And maybe, maybe he's young and he's growing and that, but I don't know. I just feel like after watching that, I wouldn't be too down on Girona, but at the same time, I wouldn't be patting Real Madrid on the back either because there's going to be tougher games where those teams do take those chances and I just wonder that yeah I just don't really I'm not really sure about the the shifting of positions and stuff within the squad yeah yeah I mean I think the game itself was sort of like a a display of of hierarchy so some Real Madrid's performance in itself I don't think was quite as dominant as 3-0 suggests we, we, you know, we've spoke about the starts of the game as well, and it, it sounds weird to say, but th- this was a game that I think having less goals would have been nicer. At, the longer it stayed at nil nil, and it was sort of a, a neutral game where Real Madrid couldn't, you know, sort of grow into the game, you know, confidence wise, and and sort of adapt their approach when they had to try and go. Not not toe to toe with Girona, but show that that you know they weren't just coming to Montalivi to sit back and watch the ball be played around by this really good team. You know, it's um, there are definitely things that Ancelotti needs to take care of in this team, and you know they use Bellingham off the left side in this game in in a four four two out of possession, and they really couldn't put pressure on the ball. It, if if Bellingham's not you know closer to the front line playing in you know behind the strikers, so there's there's stuff to consider. They look good when they were defending a lead with Bellingham and Valverde on either side, but they couldn't really pressure the ball, and they were fortunate to get out of that start to the game ahead, um, where you know the onus on them was reduced in terms of pressuring. So yeah. lots of stuff to consider for Ancelotti still. 
and just on that point about it being a a, a, a display of hierarchy you look at Savio that was his first game he, he's basically only ever played six games for for PSV Eindhoven in, in the Eredivisie and after that he, he's never actually played a game of this magnitude with so much hype around it like with Girona coming in as a leader like you know Artem Dobbik as well another player who who hadn't played at this level before and players like that who who are just learning now what it is what you need to do to beat Real Madrid and it's, it's just so hard I mean it's, I wouldn't be down on, on on Corona too much but also just a note there quickly on Yangel Carrera's role I, I think he I've been waiting for him to come good now for a couple of years but I think he has just been magnificent this season and he was excellent again in in that opening half and and like really gave it to to, to Rudiger he was he, he was all over that, that attacking third and like he's aggressive he's he's technically good his positioning is good, and I just, yeah, I'm really excited to see what he does now for the for the future. But we'll move on from that game onto the Real Sociedad three 0 versus Athletic Club in a game where Real Sociedad really showed that they are a Champions League side. Athletic Club tried to add a bit of chaos to the mix, but Real Sociedad just stayed calm, finished the chances that they created, and ultimately ran out 3-0 winners and deserved it, I would say, no? Yeah, um, I'm not sure about you as well. As, as soon as I saw Athletic lineup come out, I was I was just worried for them. I, I didn't really see how they could go away to Real Sociedad and win that game, knowing that they didn't have Oyan Sanset, they didn't have Inigo Ruiz de Galareta. Uh, Nico Williams was basically coming back from an injury Valverde said he didn't know whether to, or, or it was a decision between starting him and seeing what they could get or bringing him on for a, a late cameo, but he decided to start him. And bringing in, you know, Danny Garcia, Ander Herrera, uh, Ike Munyain as that central three, I just thought this this is not going to be enough to go up against Real Sociedad, knowing how good they've looked in recent weeks, the performance gets into uh, in the Champions League. And that mid, uh, midfield three, which I think we'll speak about, of you know Zubi Mendy, Marino, Bryce Mendes, they look like they're really back to their best now. So I just, you know, from, from you can never write off a game from from before the whistle, but I just thought it was going to be a massive uh, task for Athletic to get a result there. That that midfield three for Real Sociedad could easily be Real Madrid or Spain's starting midfield for the next five or six years. It wasn't for Rodri in, in Zubimendi's place, but even still, Zubimendi is, is right there. And Bryce, obviously Alex Bain, uh, players like that are, are really good too, coming through. But Marino, Bryce Mendes, and Zubimendi, that, that's an incredible midfield tree and the technical quality that they had. And I, I do feel like the Oyen Sanset absence was, was he, he probably would have added a little bit more defensively and, and my, maybe might have t- made Zubimendi think a little bit more about what he where, where he was positioned. I just feel like Muniain, who really came into it after Real Sociedad went 2-0 or 3-0 down once the game was kind of out of reach, and he did do well, but I thought defensively he switched off a couple of times with Zubi Mendy, and he he he, did, he didn't have any impact on the game at all to start the game in the first yeah. half, certainly. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, 
you know, in the second half when Munain actually made that run beyond into the box and he had that chance, it was like, I think Zubi Mendy was actually a bit surprised that Munain had, had run behind him because up until that point, everything was just controlled in front of him and it felt like a pretty easy day for Zubi Mendy, you know, considering how good he is, no disrespect to Munain, but Zubi Mendy controls number 10s uh, pretty well these days and even good ones. And I'm not sure Munain is a player who can really be decisive in these types of games anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, the another player who started for Real Sociedad and who had a big impact, I thought, he didn't score, but I thought he was excellent, was Umar Sadiq, who has been just coming back from, or he's been eased into it, we presume, after the ACL tear last year. But he's also been not played because Mikel Oyarzabal has been playing there. And I thought that this was perfect from Alguacil because Umar Sadiq, was aggressive to match the athletic Bilbao defender central defenders. He held the ball up well. I think he he provided an option pretty much all the time, and he 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 good at advancing the ball when he does get it in in places where he can where, where he can run at defenders. And I just think that that made a, a huge difference to Athletic or to Real Sociedad's attack. With and it just looked really balanced with Bernache on the left. Kubo on the right and Umar Sadiq as the as the central point of everything that was happening in in, in the attack. Yeah, he, he had a good impact, uh, Sadiq, and it, it obviously easy to say in hindsight, but it looks like a good decision from Alguacil to to leave Oyasabel on the bench and go back to a, a real number nine. And it, he's he's a really unorthodox player, Sadiq. To me, watching the game, it looked like he really bothered Danny Vivian, especially because he's just difficult to get to grips with um mm. vivian kept complaining to the referee like you know he's he's pushing me and grabbing me and and all this type of things but yeah sadiq completed uh four take-ons in this match which which was most by real sociedad playing in a la liga game so far this season so i think that just shows what his type of game is you know he's he's creative he makes things happen he's it he, he doesn't always look you know overly clean but he's uh yeah he just, he just bothers defenders uh, and like i said vivian was was certainly a little bit tentative to really engage him because he's he, he's just got that weird frame and uh he, he's tough to deal with but yeah that's, he had a good Im- impact and uh yeah good decision that's a weird that, that's a good phrase he's got a weird frame because he doesn't look like he he kind of crouches over but he's got really quick feet and he showed that off against again in the game at the weekend and he he's got really quick feet. He's very very direct. He's he's deceptionally slow, or quick, quick, because he doesn't look like he should be, but he's really direct. I think pacey more than quick. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that's a a massive bonus now for them, knowing that he's getting back to his best. And Andre Silva come off the bench, and game was pretty much over at that point. But he's another option now. I think I was just saying that I think Mikel Oyer Sabal now can go back out onto the left with Umar Sadiq there to to fill that fill that role at number nine. And I think that will actually help Oyer Sabal get back to his best because him playing as a false nine wasn't really working because I just feel like he has to be kind of a little bit out. I think he feels more comfortable and he looks more comfortable when he's out on the left kind of facing the ball when he's got his body, I don't know what shape it would be, but when he's kind of concede an entire pitch. And yeah, I think Oyarzabal might, you might be able to start him at, at left on the left of that attack now. 
And yeah, the so so basically, what what I saw in terms of one of the changes in the game was when Tierney went off with with with, with a hamstring injury, they brought on Munoz, and prior to that. Athletic Club had been sitting back on on the two fullbacks Traore and Tierney because they obviously know how how much how badly they can hurt you. But then when Munoz Munoz went off, it was strange because the Williams brothers kind of pushed up a little bit further, and Ramiro, who showed off some excellent passing skills in this, in this game, he was just popping the ball over the Williams brothers and the two fullbacks. And either on on a couple of occasions at the end of the first half, they just got to carry the ball and the Williams brothers were left in the dust and I, I just thought it was kind of strange for Athletic Club to get aggressive at that point when they had been kind of sitting off a bit and being a bit more conservative. Yeah, I thought the same because it was quite a, it wasn't a full throttle start to the game from Athletic and obviously Valverde had devised the plan to to leave Zubeldi and Lenormand free at centre-back for them to have to manage the ball and make decisions. Um, they were the two free men, pretty much. Obviously, Guruzeta was sort of shuttling between the pair of them, but it was just a case of even if Athletic had seen something that you know they were keen to go after, if they're not a team who were really pressing from the front and making it difficult to play out, winning the ball high up, it just feels like they're a bit of a, a diluted version of, of Valverde's team. And yeah, like you said, Romero's passing once they did start to step on was was really good and they just had different you know or, or so much more ways to to bypass the press when it did come than athletic who looked just a little bit rabbit in the headlights uh unfortunately and we were talking about game state there with real madrid obviously once they took the lead it was hard for girona to start to fashion chances real madrid could sit back a little bit more didn't have to take the game to girona and likewise for athletic club who they only had two sequences of 10 plus passes. There was a point in the first half where Real Sociedad were just sitting off them. It was a seven versus three. And Athletic Club looked so nervous playing out from the back. And it ended up being just a hoof up the field and they lost it. And I just think that obviously that's Ernesto Valverde's style that's what he that's how he wants to play that's who athletic club are but i just feel like when teams are sitting off them they need to be more comfortable building up through through the from the back and and building up through the middle and not having to res, resort to to just hoofing the ball up the field and 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 living in that chaos because real Sociedad at that point were one nil up at home and they were just saying you're gonna have to break us down here and i thought athletic club just struggled with that at, at that point and did and when Real Sociedad weren't giving them the chance to be chaotic, I I just think that they kind of ran out of ideas. Definitely, it was um, you know, it was a game where you, you would have liked to have seen Ruiz de Galareta, Sunset both on the pitch because then they'd have had they'd have at least have had players showing for passes a bit more and a you know a heightened sense of bravery on the pitch. Garcia and um, and Herrera just haven't played enough. They didn't really have any rhythm, and if you don't have rhythm of play, you know, with with and without the ball up against Real Sociedad, you're gonna get chewed up pretty much because they're just opposition managers say it all the time about Real Sociedad that you know, in the duels, you know, in the Spain they always talk about duels, but 
they are the kings of the duels, basically. Real Sociedad, they they win everything uh, pr- pretty much, and they're just so competitive. And you know, you mentioned that you thought Bryce Mendes was like back to his best, but uh, yeah, something I agree with, of course. Uh, but you you look at his progression now from what he arrived at from Celta Vigo when he joined. You know, he was a technical player, you know, good on the ball, but now you watch him that all of that is still there but he's he, he's pretty fierce in the duels now he can handle himself really well and as is you know joining Sadiq in the front line of the pressure he's he's a real weapon without the ball now as well and you know to have added that to his game what was already there he's uh you know really good player and that's another thing that in terms of just Real Sociedad playing at a Champions League level, when Athletic Club tried to tried to press and and uh, cut the field in half, Real Sociedad went long and the ball was up to I believe it was Mikel Marino and and Bryce Mendes was just ready. He knew that this is going to be flicked on, and both Sadiq and Bryce Mendes are are running driving into that space where the ball is going to land, and that's where the second goal came from. Takekubo, who has he scored that same goal about 14 times this season already it <laughs> yeah. feels like just running onto the ball with his left foot just strokes at home and another player who's obviously excellent not as pronounced as he has been in in, in recent weeks but i still think you think he was excellent and i still think he does bring something different to the table on on that right hand side and he's, he's just excellent so is there anything else you want to add about that game? I think that we, we pretty much covered everything there. I was just uh, back to that point. I had a stat about the, about the athletic club not building, not building up. They, their own passes, 176.4 passes per game in their own half, which isn't as low as Kitafe's 110.8, which is the lowest among the top five leagues. But it is pretty low in terms of, and actually when you look at the top, 20 there's a lot of spanish teams in there so this is it in order from getafe with 110 to alaves are the second lowest passes in their own half per game then mallorca then osasuna then rio sevilla celta vigo and then athletic club so it's i i think that obviously that's the style that's ernesto valverde's style that's what he wants to do but i just feel like in different game states they need to be able to do more but like you said, with Ian Sanset and with Ruiz de la Galareta, that, that does change and they can be build up a little bit more through the middle and be a bit braver on the ball. So moving on to a team I just mentioned there about not having a whole lot of passes in their own half. Celta Vigo lost 2-1 last night to Las Palmas in a game that was contentious. There was a couple of decisions that had Rafa Benitez complaining about. He said he said last night after the game, he said something always happens. They had a goal ruled out for for a foul in the build-up. And they looked they, they went one nil up in the second half. A, a really, really lovely counter and but they gave away a penalty and then conceded late on to lose two one. And looks like Rafa Benitez project at Celta Vigo is running into some some headwinds here. Yeah, yeah, I mean just to touch on Benitez, uh, his comments after the game. I mean, he was, from the moment he sat down in the press conference, literally everything was just about decisions, you know, goals goals being ruled out, the ways in which the referee effect, affected the game. Was he talking about facts, no? <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he was saying, you know, 
basically, you know, my players can't be expected to keep rebounding from these, you know, these tough blows in terms of decisions. You know, it's hard to always, you know, keep keep rowing against the tide. But I mean, they got to what was it? Uh, Dubica scored in the sixty seventh minute. You know, you're one nil up away from home against Las Palmas, a team who was struggling to score goals. You know, you know, like you wouldn't believe. They had half an hour to sit on a 1-0 lead, which is absolutely prime Benitez territory. And they've lost it 2-1. So, I mean, you can talk about the decisions, I, I know. And, and so I think some of his points are valid, but you were in prime Rafa Benitez position and you still lost the game to a newly promoted side. So, you know, I, I don't think the entire takeaway from this match can be decisions. And we're not getting the rub of the green because, you know, they didn't execute when... In a in a situation where you would expect them to, yeah. The, so Rafa Benitez, it's a five three two that he plays, and Jonathan Bamba, who I I thought was excellent at times last night, really got on the ball specifically. But he's being asked to play now in a in a midfield role when he kind of arrived as more of a winger. I I I thought at least, and I think that's where he started, and that's where I thought he looked best, and he does look better going forward. So he was on the left of that three in the middle and there was times where and this is where the goal came from and this is where Las Palmas created problems in that the the right back was coming up the field and, and on the other side too by the way not it was not just Bamba's side so the, so the fullbacks were coming up the field and Bamba was having to switch it was between Bamba and um, Sanchez on, on, on the left hand side and then it was Fran Beltran and uh, it was Dotor, Dotor and Mingesa. Yeah, it was Dotor and Mingesa. Yeah, so Mingesa was having to step out at times, kind of back to the situation we had with Real Madrid. And d- d- so Mingesa was stepping up at times to make it a four in the middle, but then he had to recover back because they were trying to prevent those half space runs and to prevent Idu, for example, from getting pulled too far out. And I, I think that. Last, it worked for the most part, but then there was times when there was there was Las Palmas were being given a chance to advance the ball far too easily in those spaces and cause problems. When, like in terms of Celta Vigo, and and this is where I think that defensive frailty is coming from because you're you're giving them ground. Whereas if you played, say for example, in a four four two, that left and the right spaces are just by interior by in pure. Uh, numbers those spaces are cut off so I think Rafa is trying to solve a problem at the back by having more numbers and 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 squeeze that area but at the same time he's given a team like Las Palmas way too much opportunity too many opportunities to, to step up the field and cause problems and like you said they they have struggled for goals and they did struggle at times last night in the first half specifically where there was no spaces there, but as the game wore on, they started to create those little spaces. Jonathan Vieira came on, played in that advanced role, and he was very good. But just on, on Rafa talking about that, I mean, w- w- do you think that's a sign of weakness in terms of losing so many games so tight, so late on? Or is it a sign that we're really, really close? They had Real Madrid uh, on the ropes. They had Barcelona on the ropes. And then they went 1-0 up against Las Palmas and gave up just three, just nine points from winning positions. And you just wonder, is it? do you think that's a sign that they're really, really close and they just need to keep working? Or is this a sign that they're they're not taking to Rafa's ideas? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's just a. Uh, I'm inclined to think they were they were really close and they were they were good defensively for what Benitez wants to do for long spells of those games, but it's just such a tough sell to the Celta fans to to play that way and still lose. I mean, they've had yeah, what was it, twenty six percent possession away to Las Palmas. Obviously, a team who do see a lot of the ball, but you know, a lot of fans are not going to accept that against a newly promoted side and. I agreed with what you said about Celta basically lost this game, you know, f- for the pure fact of Las Palmas just had s- so many opportunities to try and work position. For long spells of the game, it-, it wasn't coming off. But, I mean, deep into, you know, the 97th minute, Las Palmas just still insisting, insisting, and eventually they get the breakthrough. But there is, I would say, f- for Las Palmas, it- it's a brilliant win. It will give some validation to what they're trying to do, but there's still lots of things for for Garcia Pimienta to correct. I think because in the first half, especially, you know, the build-up's good; they move the ball around, but they just don't have that change of tempo once they sort of pass through the thirds. And it's easy for teams to recover and get back into shape. I mean, I remember speaking about Munia in the preseason previews that we did, and we spoke about you know a number of goals that we could expect him to score. And him playing on the wing, it's just really not working for the role that he's in. You know, they use sort of, I mean, the team that comes to mind for the approach that, that Las Palmas have in terms of team do it really well, obviously not identical, but Arsenal, because, you know, they have the tight build-up, you know, inverted full-backs and they stretch the pitch out wide with Saka Martinelli. And they are just once the ball gets to them, you know, there's there's pure acceleration. You could talk about Girona as well, but Las Palmas build up is good. They move the ball sort of in the first two thirds of the pitch nicely, but there's just no change of rhythm there. And it's it's just I think that's a big reason why they've struggled to score goals so far. And yeah, so you could say Celta had them well covered in in that scenario, but again, as the game wore on and Garcia Pimienta made changes. Vieira came on, Kirian moved higher up. He had a brilliant game. Yeah. You know, they basically won on insistence. So it's yeah, it's it's a really tough one for for Benitez. I think Alberto Moleiro will will solve some of those problems. I'd say he'll slot in there where Munir is playing, or they'll re- readjust so that Moleiro comes in. He's he's had a hamstring injury that he's supposed to be out for three or four weeks, and it's two months now. And I and I would hate for Garcia Pimienta to to leave, or not not suggesting that he, he would be sacked or. There hasn't been any reports about that, obviously, and specifically not after last night. Such a good win, but I, I'd, I'd like to see him with his with his best team, and I do think that Moleiro obviously is a part of that. So I think that he, I'd love to see him playing and to see if that attack does improve with him in the team because he adds so much, obviously. And the yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned so, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I should just add. Um, it sounds like. There were quite veiled comments after the game, but it sounds like Jonathan Vieira might be leaving Las Palmas in in the winter. He he was saying, you know, basically, time is running out for me. There's there's opportunities out there for me. Paraphrasing slightly there, but yeah, the sense seems to be that he's he's pretty much out of the door at Las Palmas. We'll see what happens, but yeah, it's something to mention. And I I wonder what that means in terms of chances to do what to. Play higher up, chances to make money. To chance, I I wonder what that means because he's thirty three now. I mean, maybe 
yeah. I mean, he's still got it and he's still excellent, but... Yeah, yeah. He, I, th- I think he had an offer from um, the Middle East in the summer that was rejected at the time. I'm not sure if they've come back or if it's from, from somewhere else, yeah. but yeah, the, it was it was a very sudden sort of change of tone after the game where it was like, you know, I'm just out here enjoying what time I have left. You know, there's young guys coming up that, you know, need their opportunities and it was like, wow, that happened, that happened quickly, but yeah, we'll mm. see what happens. Yeah, I'd say that that that's what you said. That's uh, that's what he's talking about there. But yeah, and I, I I think we'll leave it there then on the Las Palmas versus Celta Vigo game, and we'll leave it there for this podcast. Obviously, if you follow us over on Twitter at La Pausa Pod, you you'll get to keep up with us during all the Champions League games and the. Uh, La Liga, obviously, uh, as always. So, yeah, we'll leave it there for this episode of La Pausa Pod. From me and Jamie here, it is adios.